0: amen as you grab your seat and grab your copy of God's word and let's go to Nehemiah chapter 5 Nehemiah chapter 5 as you're turning there I just want to say man hey it is so good to see you all here on this Labor Day weekend man what a crowd what a good looking bunch out here this morning and I know that you have come ready to hear a word from God and guess what I got one for you, all right? (laughs) Hey, but let me say this. If you're new this morning, if you're a guest this morning, we want to say welcome to you. We are so thankful that you've chosen to worship here with us. We pray that you feel like you are home. But to help us to follow up with you, we do want to follow up with you. Um, There's a connection card in the seat right in front of you. Just grab that, fill it out, drop it in in the offering box on the way out, or bring it out to me. I'll be out there in a little while and give it to me. Or... In your bulletin on the back page there, you can turn for a QR code if you prefer a digital version of that connection card. Either way, uh, we want to connect with you. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community, so we want to get to know you as you get to know us. So, Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, if you all watch any TV at all, you know that renovation shows are all the rage right now on TV. How many of y'all love renovation shows? Yeah, man. Everybody loves them. I mean, back in the day, all you had was Bob Vila, right? This old house, y'all remember that, right? And then in the early 2000s, you had Ty Pennington come along with um, that huge hit show, Extreme Makeover: Home Edition. I mean, that was an awesome show. I, 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 I all right, I cried a few times watching that. And I'm just gonna be real with you, man. It was good. That was a really good show. And then in the early 2010s, I mean, here comes Chip and Joanna Gaines with that big hit fixer upper and now you have flip or flop <laughs> property brothers good bones trading spaces farmhouse fixer <laughs> love it or list it fixer to fabulous dream house makeover restored by the fords i mean it's it's just everywhere and of course i i can't leave out the one right down the road in laurel mississippi we have ben and and Aaron napier they're, they're doing renovation shows down there that 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 we all love called hometown i mean These shows are, I mean, they're just all the rage. People love to see an old, worn out, broken down, outdated home remodeled and restored. But imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment if these restoration specialists only worked on the outside of the homes and completely ignored the inside of the homes. They fix the yard and the landscaping they fix the porch and the windows and the doors they give the exterior of the house a fresh paint job or maybe even a a new siding of some sort they put on a new roof but on the inside they leave the shag carpet y'all know what i'm talking about that sparkly popcorn ceiling i mean can i get a witness oh my goodness Right, I mean, those, those, those holes in the drywall and that sagging wallpaper border and the mustard yellow appliances. I had the olive green ones in my house growing up, right? Now, would you call that house restored? No, man, that's not a restoration. I mean, maybe a partial restoration, but not a full restoration. The outside may look great, but the inside would still be a mess. You see, a true restoration requires, the true restoration requires both the inside and the outside to be done. And the same is true for a city and for a community. You see, we're not just talking about the streets and the buildings and and, and, and the, the businesses and the green spaces and the parks and those things as we walk through this series, God has more in mind than just those things. You see, all of those external things could be changed. And let's be real, those changes are good. Anytime you're in a community or a city where they begin to spruce up the, the external trappings of the community, that's always a good thing. I can remember in Bowling Green, Kentucky, when they went from downtown Bowling Green at Fountain Square and went all the way down about eight, ten blocks to Barren River and they restored that whole district down through there and it's beautiful today. That's a good thing when we see those things changed but here's the deal. If we really want to see a city or a community or whatever situation that's around you that's broken, if we really want to see change happen and to see lasting restoration, then here's the deal. People must be restored as well. Have you found this to be true? Broken people break stuff. I've seen me do it. Broken people <laughs> break stuff. Listen, that, that situation that you see around you, it didn't just happen. It was the product of brokenness around you, broken people around you. So if we want to see true and lasting restoration, then what we have to see also is that the people of that broken place are restored as well it has to be inside out which brings us to today's truth and here it is restoration coincides with the reformation of man restoration coincides with the reformation of man so that's the next step as we're walking in this biblical process of restoration in the book of nehemiah here so far, we found that restoration begins with a burden, continues with a willingness to act, requires a plan, happens when you get to work, demands you stand against opposition, and then today, again, restoration coincides with the reformation of man. So true restoration, which is what we're aiming for, it is an inside-out reality. And we see this beautifully demonstrated here in the book of Nehemiah. While they were working on the wall, they were also working on themselves. In our text today, we're going to see three phases of the reformation of man that should coincide with the restoration of the brokenness around you. All right, the first phase. First, we see a reformation in how we relate to one another a reformation in how we relate to one another. Now the folks there in Jerusalem, they began to bring their problems to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, listen, we appreciate all that you're doing here of focusing on these city walls and on these city gates, but we have other issues that are very serious. Look at verse one in chapter five. The Bible says, now there arose a great cry, a great outcry of the people, and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Now, the language of a great outcry, that's typical language of a protest under oppression. You see, the issue wasn't with outsiders, but with insiders, people within their own Jewish community, people within their city. And there was deep economic hardship. Now, one group, likely the landless poor, They said, we have no way to get from our Jewish brothers the grain that we need to eat and stay alive. Nehemiah, we can't eat these walls, brother. Another group had land, but but they'd already maxed out their credit. They were borrowing from their Jewish brothers against their land and, and would soon have no way to purchase the groceries they needed to live. Nehemiah, Listen, we've used up all the collateral, all of the equity that we have to buy food in this famine. And still the Bible tells us there was another group that had money for food, but didn't have enough money to pay the Persian taxes, the king's taxes, the Bible calls it here. And so they borrowed from their Jewish brothers, again, against their land. So in all three of these situations here, these folks were getting so desperate that they they gave everything away that they had, right? They they, they leveraged everything they had and then they went even to this point of desperation we read here in the Bible here that these folks were getting so desperate that they were even selling their children into slavery to their Jewish brothers. Now this was a common reality in the ancient Near East, right? In fact, we, we can't overlook this temporary economic slavery was a last resort written into the old covenant law as a safety net for those who fell on extremely hard economic times in Israel, right? This is not the man-stealer, kidnapper, chattel slavery that we knew here in America. No, this this um, this is economic slavery. It's a safety net that they built into the society. But this situation went way beyond all of that those who had resources they were taking full advantage of the people who had no resources who were in a difficult situation these people they they wanted to get out of the situation they were in but they had no way there was no way for them to see the end of it because check out nehemiah 5 5 at the very end of that they say but it's not in our power to help it they were powerless and the 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 system of oppression that had come over them it 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 left them powerless to get out of their situation he says for other men have our fields and our vineyards and nehemiah was furious as governor and and essentially we we come to realize here in chapter 5 that that's basically what nehemiah was he had been sent by king artaxerxes from persia to kind of come down and be a governor over this area. And so he called the nobles and and the officials together and and straight called them out, man. Look at at verse 7 and 8 in chapter 5. He says, you're exacting interest, each from his brother? And they were never supposed to do that. The law of God says you you can lend money, but you can't charge interest. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we... As far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who had been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and couldn't find a word to say. What had caused all of this? What is the root cause of all of this? And the answer is just plain and simple greed. The men who had resources loved money more than they loved their Lord. They neither feared the Lord nor loved the Lord. These men loved money more than they loved their neighbor. It didn't bother them to see their Jewish brother hungry and landless and impoverished. They would gladly, oh, hey, oh, you need a little money? Yeah, come on, just... Sign just just hand over your deed they were glad to take ownership of that land they were glad to buy their children as slaves and y'all it was downright greed which is the sinful love of material things that's what greed is and you can be greedy for a lot of things but greed is simply an idol of stuff they were elevating stuff stuff over people and it was sinful it was unjust and so nehemiah decreed that there had to be a change in how they related to one another the bible says that he decreed they must stop charging interest on monetary loans he decreed that they had to immediately return their brothers or to their brothers their their fields their vineyards their olive orchards they had to return their houses they had to return the percentage of money grain wine and oil that they had been exacting from them and the wealthy nobles they agreed they agreed and they even swore before the priest that they would do what they had been told right nehemiah wanted the people to do everything in their power to help each other to succeed now of course this is still this is still they wanted to help right Nehemiah himself epitomized that. We find out in the rest of Nehemiah 5 that he exemplified generosity. Where those around him were were exemplifying greed, he was exemplifying generosity. He was technically, again, a Persian official serving as governor over the area, yet he refused, the Bible tells us here, to burden the people with the governor's allowance that he had a legal right to exact from them. He said, no, no, I'm not going to take that. That that would be a burden for them. That would be cumbersome to them. I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that allowance. And the Bible says that he acquired no land. It would be a great time to acquire land because land was cheap. People were selling at cutting costs, right? I've got to have money. I'll take anything for this. It's just like the pawnbroker. You go in with that $1,000 guitar. Yeah, I'll give you $200 for it. I need, it's worth a thousand. I know, but if you really need money, you'll take 200. And that's what a lot of the people in Nehemiah's day were doing. But Nehemiah said, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking advantage of my brothers. And so he acquired no land. He had servants that could have waited on him, but it says that he sent his servants to work alongside the people out there rebuilding the walls. And when diplomats and other foreigners came to Jerusalem, Nehemiah paid their room and board out of his own expenses, he tells us. He was very generous. Beloved, I believe that if we want to see lasting restoration spurred along, that we have to reform how we relate to one another. And and, and that encompasses a great many things, right? A great many things, but replacing our greed with generosity is a great place. Replacing our greed with generosity is a great place to start. Greed says, what can I get? Generosity says, how can I help? Greed says, I care about me. Generosity says, I care about you. Greed says, I'll push you down. Generosity says, I'll help you up. Beloved, how different Would our city and our community, our broken situation, whatever it is, how different would it be if every person actively asked, how can I help? How can I show that I care? How can I help you up? I wonder, what are some of the other ways that we need to change in how we relate to one another? We could go on and on with an example, right? I just said a moment ago that it encompasses a great many things, but here's what I just would encourage you to do Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, how do I need to change that I might relate in a more godly way with people around me? But above all, you know what we sum it up with? One four-letter word, love. We sum it up with the word love, and you say, well, why why that? Well, because that's, that's the word Jesus used. Jesus summed it up this way the entirety of God's commandments. He summed up this way in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. The Bible says, and Jesus said to the lawyer, the lawyer had just asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus. Jesus said to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love Your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend look at this all the law and the prophets the entirety of the commandments of God are summed up in these two commandments love God and love others but we sum it up in just one word love now this is certainly true when you think about if you want specifics here just go to the specifics of the ten commandments for instance that's a great place to start if you want to show love then just do what the ten commandments tell you to do right the first four commandments help us to love god don't worship any of the gods don't make any physical representations or idols of god don't belittle god's name don't forsake a day each week dedicated to to God there's the first four that's these are these are just real practical ways that we love God and then the other six out of the ten help us to love our neighbor so honor your parents it says don't murder don't cheat on your spouse don't steal don't lie don't desire to take what belongs to your neighbor these are simple right you've heard these all your life but these are practical ways that you and i can show love to one another jesus said that all of these can summed up can be summed up with the word love love the love the lord and, and love your neighbor as yourself so church here here's the deal replacing our greed with generosity it's a great place to start but how about we just continue to seek to radically live out these basic commandments of loving one another in our church, in our home, in our workplace, in our community, in our city. The reformation of man and how we relate to one another has to coincide with restoration, all right? That's the first phase. The second phase that we see in our text today that should coincide with the restoration of the brokenness around you is a reformation in how we relate to God, how we relate to God. So go ahead and flip with me to Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8. Now what we see here, beloved, in Nehemiah is exactly what we need to see done in our day. All right? Look look at Nehemiah 8. We're going to read the first eight verses. Nehemiah 8, the first eight verses. The Bible says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maaseiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkiha, Mashram, Mash. Badadonah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it up, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Ahab, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, kalida Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites. People, uh, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So beloved, do you see what they did here? I mean, this is so simple. Oftentimes in the church, we try to make it complicated, right? It's so simple. They simply opened the book of God and they read the word of God. They opened up the Bible and they read the Bible. You see, there was a famine in the land, y'all. There was a famine in the land morally speaking because the word of God had been put aside and had been put away. Everybody was just doing what was right in their own sight. I wonder, does that, does that sound familiar to our day? Just everybody doing what sounds right in their own eyes? How'd that work out for them? Well, how's it working out for us? <laughs> All right, not too good, Right? about as good as it's working out for us, right? It worked out for them that poorly as well. And so they needed the word of God to know right from wrong. They needed the word of God to to understand who God is and how they are to relate to him and who they are and how they're broken and how they can be restored into a right relationship with God. And I declare to you this morning, beloved, we do as well. There is no anchoring of morality without the unchanging testimony of God's word. Jerusalem and all of Judah and Israel before Nehemiah's day, they had ignored the word of God and they were reaping the awful consequences of it. And I stand right here in Collinsville, Mississippi, USA in September of 2023 and tell you that we are reaping the same thing. Listen, there's a dearth, of morality because there's a dearth in the word, and we don't turn to Congress or the Senate or or the presidency or the or the Supreme Court of the United States to figure out what's right and wrong. No, no, that's what the pulpits are for in the community. Listen, listen, that that's where we turn. They've become silent on these issues. The preachers don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They don't want to ruin an opportunity to tell somebody about jesus later so they don't tell them about jesus now and guess what they don't usually get around to it preachers want to build an actual roller coaster right on the platform and ride around in it while preaching wasting a ton of god's resources for an ounce of actual impact if you've seen the the video you know what i'm talking about Preachers want to have sermon series like, like church at the movies where they, they turn their church into a movie theater and then they, they, they dress up like clowns to entertain the goats while the sheep starve. Listen, not every sermon has to be in your face, hellfire and brimstone. In fact, most of them don't need to be. But you preach the text that's there. But every sermon, at the very least, must open up the Bible and declare, thus saith the Lord. I mean, every sermon must explain the Bible and and, and read the Bible and apply the Bible. That's the only way we'll ever rightly know how to relate to God, beloved. That's why God gave us this book. That's why he put it in a book. The book is not God. But the book contains the word of God. It, what, what, what it says, God says. And we need to raise up a generation of preachers who unashamedly champion this book and proclaim this book. And here's the other side of it. Listen, we need to, re- we need to, we need to, to pray that God would raise up a church, a generation of church people. Who will refuse to let their preacher stand in the pulpit and put aside the book and turn away from the book? Amen? That's on y'all. The preacher will stand before God one day, but guess what? You will too. Because what happens in this pulpit happens because you allow it. In any pulpit, that is. In any pulpit this book, y'all, the Bible, it must always remain front and center to our life. Front and center to the prophetic ministry that we have to the brokenness around us. These right here, these are the instructions for how to fix it, right? We're talking about fixing brokenness all around us. These are the instructions for how to fix it. And so Ezra, the priest, And scribe, He read and he explained and he applied God's word and and so did his helpers. And I want you to look and see what happened in Nehemiah 8 verse 9. The Bible says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And here's why they said that. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. You see, they became convicted of their sin. They began to grieve and they began to weep over their sin. And beloved, that's what happens when people who, who live like hell come into contact with God's holy word. They get convicted. That's why we got to share the word of God. There's no reformation of man without the reading and proclamation of God's word. But Nehemiah saw it was happening And he said, whoa, 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 stop. There's there's a time and place for that. But today, that's not today. He stepped in and he told them, this isn't a day of grief. No, today's a day of rejoicing, y'all. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and we do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Beloved, they were happy, right? Because here's the deal. Nehemiah said, look, the the word of God, we've been restored to God through the word of God. And it was a joyful thing. May you always be thankful that you have god's word i pray that you would cherish it that you would read it that you would love to hear it preached that you would love to live it out and in doing so guess what you will change how you relate to god because it'll instruct you in how to relate to god and that brings me this morning then to the third and final phase of reformation that we see in our text today that should coincide with the restoration of the brokenness around you. And that is how we relate to sin. Now, as Ezra began to read from the Pentateuch, the the first five books of the Bible, the the, the books of Moses, it said here, the people began to be grieved because they said, we've not been doing that. I'm stiff-necked and my forefathers were stiff-necked. But Nehemiah said, no, 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 not today. Rejoice today. There's going to be time for grieving later. And 24 days later, the 24th day of the month, Ezra had read, began to read the the Pentateuch, the, the books of Moses on the first day of the month, the Bible tells us. And 24 days later, guess what? It was the right time now to grieve over their sin. And the leaders of Jerusalem led the people to begin to address that. Flip with me to Nehemiah 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Bible says, Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, with earth on their heads. That was a cultural way of grieving. That was a symbol and sign that they were grieving over something. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. So it was now time to turn from their sin and to confess their sins. Now, you got to understand this morning, beloved. the word confess, we, we use that word in church a lot because it's a good word to use. It literally simply means to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. To agree with God on the sinfulness of your sin. If we're ever going to experience the reformation that, that God intends for you and me, then we've got to come to see our sin as, as God sees it. It's wretched. It's, it's wicked. It's... Condemnable. And they began to see it as it really was and is. And they began to rehearse how their ancestors had sinned and had brought them to this broken situation that they now stood in. You see, it was sin. Back in the days of their forefathers that had caused God to send Babylon in the first place to discipline the nation of judah to destroy the city of jerusalem particularly the temple in jerusalem it was because of their sin that god had babylon come and to grab the people of that city and take them off into captivity it was because they had broken the commandments of the law of god and god had warned them back in the days of moses that if they broke his laws he would discipline them He would discipline them there in the land. And then he would spit them out of the land. And God kept his promise. That's exactly what he did when the people broke their promise. And here, not only are they confessing the sins of their forefathers, but they recognize that they themselves are sinners. They're confessing their own sin Because we just saw in chapter (laughs) 5, these dudes were sinful as well. They were no better. They were just like you and me. They were sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as they were turning away from sin, I want you to notice this. They were turning back to God. Now look at the, the final verse of Nehemiah 9, verse 38. The Bible says, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes our Levites and our priests now if you were to to turn to Nehemiah 10 you'll see the covenant promises of faithfulness that they were making to God God will be faithful to you God bless us for our faithfulness as we return to you as we do what we promised we would do and so they renewed the Bible says here the old covenant with God and guess what I I completely applaud these Israelites in Nehemiah's day right they did the right thing right this is the right thing to do but praise God y'all in our day God has done something even better he's given us a new and better covenant through the life death and resurrection of Jesus Listen, this old covenant that they were renewing with their temple sacrifices and all of this stuff just covered over their sin until the better thing in Jesus Christ came along. And guess what, (laughs) y'all? The new thing's here. And it's been here for almost 2,000 years. And every person, listen to me very closely this morning, every person who'll hate their sin and turn from their sin and, and turn to Jesus Christ in faith and love, will have their sins forgiven, wiped clean, washed white as snow. And not only that, you'll be justified. That means that God will account to you Jesus's righteousness. You get 100% righteousness through Jesus Christ. I just wonder this morning, how different would our community be if more people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Huh? How, how different would this place be? Look, I, I, I long to see this place restored and, and the community made better and all those things, but look, we have to see that the beginning of all that really is the reformation of man, which when I say the reformation of man, I'm talking about the, the salvation of man. If you want to see this outward city and community restored if you want to see it changed and made better, then work to see sinners saved. And I believe if we'll intentionally work to see that, then the restoration of the brokenness around us will be turbo boosted along. You know, perhaps there's a sinner here this morning that needs to be saved right here and right now just yesterday i was driving down the road and i came across the place where the lord saved me and christy said now was it here was it there i mean because it's a four-way stop near my house between my high school and my home where i grew up and and i looked over and i said right out my window and i pointed to the patch of ground and i said that's where it was right there that's where i met jesus in 1997 at the age of 17 and it changed my life he began in me the reformation of making me into the image conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ and if you've never met Christ then I pray that your patch of ground would be 9241 Highway 19 North Collinsville, Mississippi September 3rd, 2023. If you don't know Jesus, today would be the perfect day for you to come to know him as your Lord and Savior. All of the brokenness around you is stemming from the brokenness inside you. Not just your brokenness, of course, but nevertheless, your brokenness is attributing to it. And so I pray that today, would turn from sin and trust in Christ beloved restoration coincides with the restoration of man may we learn afresh how to relate to one another may we learn anew how to relate to God and may we above all learn how to relate to our sin turn to Christ so that he may save us from it here's my final prayer this morning May we see restored people living in our restored community.